Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 517. This is the weekly show about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. In celebration of the Slow Flowers Podcast's 8th anniversary last month, we launched our new live stream video format, The Slow Flowers Show, with the goal of sharing the faces and voices of our members, as well as tours of their farms, their shops, and their studios, and most of all, their flowers. The video edition of today's episode aired as The Slow Flowers Show on Wednesday, July 28th, simultaneously broadcast to both YouTube and Facebook Live. If you missed it, you can find the replay video in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com for episode 517. This episode is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 880 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors. Thank you to our lead sponsor for 2021, Farm Row Flowers. Farm Row Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting more than 20 U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $9 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. Our first sponsor thank you for the podcast goes to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. Today's guest is Deanna Kitchen, flower farmer based in Mount Vernon in the Skagit Valley, north of Seattle, Washington, where so much great agriculture, especially floral agriculture, is rooted. Deanna and her family grow flowers, livestock, and three sons at Twig and Vine Farm, a 10-acre micro farm with just under one-quarter acres cultivated with flowers. As Deanna writes on the farm's website, dahlias are the reigning queen here, but we also love to grow unique foliages, vines, and whimsical bits like grasses and pods. I visited Twig and Vine a few weeks ago to film a video farm tour with Deanna. For podcast listeners, you'll hear our conversation today as Deanna harvests stems and discusses some of her favorite field crops. As she shared her story and the conversation naturally turned to her floral passion and mission, we discussed the Growing Kindness Project. Now an established nonprofit 501c3 organization, the motivation behind the Growing Kindness Project is a campaign of kindness that becomes a ripple of goodwill reaching across the world. Deanna likes to quote the late Anne Frank, who said, no one has ever become poor by giving. The Growing Kindness Project is working to support anyone who wants to share kindness by growing and giving flowers. It provides support, education, and resources to help participants grow and give flowers 
whether they are experienced gardeners or have never planted a single seed, whether they tend to a pot of flowers on a city balcony or produce acres of blooms on a flower farm. Deanna and her team of Growing Kindness Ambassadors are motivated to help anyone grow kindness in their communities. Thanks for joining our conversation, originally recorded on July 22nd. It was a windy day, and I apologize that we had a lot of related audio challenges. But Deanna was a great host, and I'm so grateful that she was able to set aside time for me to visit and capture a slice of her world along with her story. Let's jump right in and meet Deanna Kitchen of Twig and Vine and the Growing Kindness Project. You can see photos and find links to all her social places in today's show notes for episode 517. Okay, we're back to recording. Tell me about your sweet peas. I love the trellising. It's just like... Yeah, this was a fun... You know, sweet peas for us haven't been... Like I said, we really grow minimally for market. Um, you and I were discussing earlier that this farm has really been a journey about figuring out what piece the flowers play. And it took a few years and still learning and realizing that the flowers are kind of a piece of the farm puzzle for us, but they're not the whole pie. Um, really what our hope and dream was just to cultivate a farm where people feel welcome and where it's beautiful and restful and we could invite people into that with us, um, which is why we've leaned a little bit more into workshops and events, which obviously with the last two years, that's been really um, tough and odd. Changed. Yes, <laughs> right? but you know, eventually um, we'll be back in a, you know, a, a real rhythm with that. But um Great. Totally let's awesome. let's harvest a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I was going to say for the sweet peas, um, they they really have been about just what I love them. I enjoy them, but it's not like it's a cash crop for us. Um, you know, we tuck them in here and there with subscriptions or bouquet orders, but um, it's really just been about what's joyful for us here on the farm. That looks beautiful. So those were we had a dead tree that fell, and we just salvaged what we have. I think it's Arthur Ashe says, "Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can." And that's been a very favorite um, guiding philosophy of uh, mine. That's and a great philosophy. So you're going to cut a little bit, and um, then we're going to talk about um, what you're what you are doing to. Well, you have two facets of your business. When we sit down, we'll maybe talk more about yes. uh, your new newish project. But uh, Twig and Vine did it start out as a mainly CSA business, or yeah, it, we have taken on all kinds of variations. Um, when I very first started, my kids were really little. Head down this way. Um, the kids were really little. I had actually just designed my teaching position and staying at home with um, staying at home with a toddler and a very newborn, and just really felt like I wanted something to do that was creative and an outlet in that in that way and thought to had some aspirations that we would be able to supplement income with that with a side business as well and sort of but that's that's come to fruition in lots of different ways I can share more about that later but and Deanna you were at a different property anyway at that time right yes, we were on just an acre okay. and so what started out how I started out was just um thinking I wanted to be a wedding designer, which is funny now that I'm farther along. I think just, you know, age and maturity, you can see yourself with greater clarity, but also recognizing that was not the best fit for me um, in terms of 
just the strengths that it needed and what I brought to the table. So really, really quickly learned that as a family, it did not fit our lifestyle. Um, really quickly learned that we weren't ready to sacrifice our only family time together on the weekends right. for events. And it just, it was, we were in a season of life when inevitably like someone would have an ear infection or be up all night, you know, the night that I was trying to work on a wedding. And so um, slowly kind of started shifting from that. And I tried a um, roadside stand because we were a little closer into town, like we were talking about. So I started growing flowers and selling them on a roadside stand, very small scale. And that was really joyful. And it was a good fit for us to age the kids were. And it was about that time that we started looking for um, more property and looking for a farm. We've been both raised um, in really rural areas with lots of room to run. And we really wanted that for our kids. So that's how we ended up finding this farm. And that was kind of just, I would say I was just a couple years into my flower journey then. So I thought for sure that the thing to do, it's been a lot of learning that, well, what everybody else is doing isn't necessarily the thing that you should be doing. So I thought, well, I really like I like this small, you know, this scale of growing flower or this process of growing flowers and selling them. I should go to market. That would be a good fit for me. Um, and again, it was a process of learning like that wasn't really tapping into what not my natural strengths were and what brought us joy. Um, so the first few years on the farm, we did um, subscriptions and then um, um, some like retail sales or wholesale sales with florists and some retail sales with pop-up shops in town. Um, but kind of also really started realizing what was really joyful was the bringing people together around flowers and leaning into that. So I'd always kind of wondered, you know, having been a teacher, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? Mm. This You're right. I feel naturally proficient at, but not necessarily the thing I want to keep doing as a career. Um, so it was the first winter that we were here on the farm. You and I were just talking about, um, I was sharing that moving to this farm. This is actually our fifth year. Last week was our fifth anniversary of moving here. And we forget how far it's come because we can only see the projects that we still have to do. But we, um, we moved in with 1986 double wide. I was just sharing with you. There was a pothole so big in the driveway that you literally would like almost get lost in it driving here. Um, it was very, it had been a rental for 10 years and everything that you see here had been sinkholes from, we had um, cedar stumps that had been pulled and removed and then the, the ground um, settled around. Uh, it was black and we were infested with blackberries morning glory, thistles. It just, there was a lot to do. Um, and yet there was also this tremendous freedom because we'd moved from this, um, what felt like a picture perfect, you know, craftsman home that we painstakingly renovated, you know, in a yard with truly, literally white picket fence and cottage garden. So to let go of that and move here, it almost felt like this like fearless launch into just, showing up as we were um, and inviting people into that alongside of us. And so the very first winter we were here, um, we hosted a uh, wreath workshop. And in the wreath workshop, um, 
nobody said anything, you know, about the messes or any of those things. Nobody noticed that. Everyone was just so joyful to gather and create together. And it was a huge aha moment for me. Like, this is what I want to be doing. is gathering people around for these, like, really joyful experiences. And so that's really the way the farm has shifted. But along the way, um, I should probably walk and harvest something else. Well, this was a Monarda you just uh, harvested, right? Yes. This one is... Lemon mint. Yeah, lemon mint. It's such a pretty color. I love this. This is one of my favorites, for sure. It's kind of a blender, too, because if you cut it early, you're getting a lighter tone. Oh, or is that the older? No, this is the younger, and then Uh it it matures. Like, some of these are a little past prime. That's okay for what I'm going to do. Yeah. What I'm going to do with them today. But, yeah, these guys, when they're like this, it's like ombre. Um, right, as right. It comes up. And then we actually had, I can't remember what variety this is. This is done now. Well, this, it might, I shouldn't say it's done. I need to check, but this guy, it was a darker you, purple. You've harvested most of yes. it though. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Make Great. I'll other. follow you to the next patch. So you, this area that we're in, um, you said it was, had been like tree, there were tree stumps and that yeah, sort of thing. So we're up on the hill. I know a lot of people here like, oh, it's Desert Valley. You're like in the famous you know, tulips and fertile soil, and we have like some of the best soil anywhere. And we do in the valley, but we're right up on the hill. So we're up where we're at, had been wooded until it's not been that long. That this I drove by a field with tons of tree stumps on my yep. way here. Yeah, so that, that actually just was cleared last year. So this, and that's what our property was. It's more than 50 years ago, we believe. But um, so yeah, it had been all wooded. So Typically what they do is um, pull the stumps and then usually they get like slash burned or piled. Well, some of our stumps were pulled, which um, leaves you with settling. So we have really uneven property. Like there's one section of the property that we have not yet regraded. And that, I mean, it's just roller coaster. And then the really challenging thing was we had areas where they buried the stumps. And so the stumps over time had rotted down. Oh my gosh. Right. So some of them, like, we actually take it like, really long, you know, sticks down to try to figure out and could not find how deep. So we had areas of the farm that were off limits for the kids that first summer. Yeah. Um, so the first process of even, like, recapturing this is, like, you know, arable land. Agriculture, was, yeah. Yeah, was to pull the stumps. Um, so luckily, um, my husband actually works in civil engineering and has access to um, heavy equipment. And experience with moving dirt. And so that was that was what made this property a good fit for us. So we spent the first summer just pulling stumps. Um, the, the soil was so heavy and compacted and clay, so much clay, so much rock, that the first year, in order to even get going with planting anything, we actually trucked in soil mm. um, and mm-hmm. created raised beds. In the area, yeah, I'll show you in a minute. Right, the, I saw that vegetable garden. Okay, and then this is all, almost all cut flower production. And what air, how, what square footage would you say this is? Oh my lands, I should know. There's like 20 rows. I think we have 17 rows okay. that are um, four by 50. Okay. So that kind of gives it good. And we, like I said, we keep scaling back. I actually <laughs> had two. I had more rows in that area. Now it's all under, under progress for the next project um but it uh yeah definitely 
It looks like there's about half are devoted to dahlias and the other half are devoted to yes. um, yeah, have, herbs and, and... Yeah, so we have some perennials. I'm really mm-hmm. trying to up my perennial game. Um, one, because I really enjoy it. Two, because it makes a lot of sense for the kind of work that we want to do with flowers and also building that, you know, the farm being a beautiful place. Right. Um, but yeah, right now that's kind of what's carried us is um, in terms of the farm like having um, financial stability. We have 600 dollars in the ground this year. We had about 800 by the end of the season last year. Um, Did you let them winter over in the ground? No, we okay. didn't. You we dug pull. them. We actually get really, really, really damp soil. So I try to get them out just as soon as we get that first good window after frost. So, yes, yeah, so we have 600 in the ground this year. Um, and uh, most of, like, like I said, the farm's like financial stability comes from a tuber sale. Um, oh, this last few years, especially with not being able to host any events. Right. So with everything shifting, being online the last two years, the tuber sale was a great way to just float the farm because we could do it. You, know, you could ship. So is that why you went down from us uh, eight hundred to six hundred? Uh, no, that was really more just that piece of recognizing number one that I couldn't keep up with everything I had growing, mm-hmm. and I either could scale up and hire employees and go bigger and sell more flowers. Or I could scale down and make it fit our lifestyle. Yeah. And so it's just been a process of scaling down and making it fit our lifestyle. And I wish I could have, um, I guess, given myself permission or told myself 10 years ago when the kids were really little. There's always in the back of my head was this, um, I don't know, uh, idea that like, okay, when they're out of diapers or when they're sleeping through the night or when they're school age or when they can you know fix their own peanut butter jelly sandwich like things are going to suddenly free up and there's going to be all this time and space and there is absolutely you know a different rhythm um as your kids get older but one of the things that I didn't recognize I think is just a parenting as a bigger you know picture is that they still the, the emotional intensity of them needing you and the busyness of needing to run them to this event to that thing or you know to meet this friend Right. Um, doesn't go away. And I didn't want the farm to overshadow that. And so that's why we've been just kind of constantly in this process still of refining and resizing until it fits what yeah. feels right for our family yeah. in the season we're in. That's so, good. Yeah. Um, you're cutting some really interesting oregano, I think, yes. right? Yes. This is wild marjoram. and this, So it has a really long stem. This I inherited from a friend to start years ago. This is such... A great standby in the garden. I love, adore this one. I did not get it netted. Again, this is like show up as you are. This would do best netted. Um, but it is awesome right now. You can harvest it as a filler um, or harvest it right now as dried. Mm-hmm. Or earlier in the season, it makes a really beautiful just foliage filler. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love I love that, that, that usability in all, right. in all stages. But it's it's perennialized, right? It, it is. So it you is. could net it next year and Absolutely. get yeah. longer stems or yep, something. Totally, yeah, totally. And I think, I mean, like even then, like I mean, if I actually cut down to the bottom plant, I mean, like that's that's average stem length. Unnetted. That's crazy. Yep. And yeah. you can grow this one from seed, but it really, um, it's really, really um, prolific. So it's also really easy. I actually just dig and divide. I'll just dig and divide my plants and ch- you know split them into clumps and move over and take a little more space with it. Mm. But again, Neat. last year I actually downsized because I had double the size of this row and it was more than we needed. So 
instead. Well, you probably had somebody who was happy to take your extra clump. I did. I did. Wow. Okay. I don't know. You have to. Oh, I'm like still. You, I'm, you're going to be able to cut and stuff, right? I'm okay. having fun following okay. you. Yeah. I'm so glad. And I'm hopeful that I'm on the right track sharing the things. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm, yeah. All right. I am going to hop the road. This is what I always tell my kids don't hop the road. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Well, you're kind of a one-woman show, too, because I'm sure your husband and kids help, but this is really... It, they're, they're tremendously helpful, but there's lots of parts that they love. You know, if it's on a, if it's on a machine, they are happy to jump in and help. Um, if it's weeding, not so much. <laughs> but they have a lot of their own um, endeavors and responsibilities on the farm now. And so as they've gotten older, their interests and responsibilities on the farm have been much more focused on the animals. Um, yeah. So they do... Really, all the animal care. I don't really have daily responsibilities with the animals, so I spent a big, very time. So this year, Deanna, do you have CSA customers? I do. We have a very small amount. Again, it was not choosing um, less but better yeah. for our family this summer. Um, so we have a small CSA bunch that's just getting started next week. Actually, I really didn't want to gamble um with with pondering what was going to be in bloom in this mid we don't have a lot of next year i'd like to plant more biennials but we didn't have a lot of that the earlier stuff yeah to really um sustain us in that june window um and we didn't run spring subscriptions this year i think i may next year um so yeah they kick off next week so we have a bouquet subscription and then a few weeks after that, we have our dahlia subscription kicking off. Just, just bunches just of dahlias, bunches of dahlias, which yes. makes it easy. There's not a lot of production on that, right? Yes, totally. And that was really my goal. How can we, you know, again, what what makes sense for what we're doing and how much we have? And so it's just been this constant refining process. And we are really, really lucky. We partner with an incredible um, little bistro in town, and they're a pickup site for our subscriptions, which honestly, to me, I love getting to put flowers in people's hands, but it's the connections that I really, really love most. And so, uh, you know, every week getting to pop in and see the lovely ladies down there and share, and we always share flowers with them. Mm -hmm. Sure. has been uh, a highlight for me. So do you do one delivery day a week? Um, Yes. Uh So we do Fridays. The 10 people just seem to be like, Friday mornings, they, at least that's what's worked in our community. Mm-hmm. Usually they're gearing up for the weekend and they want them for, you know, an event over the weekend, like baby showers or whatever, or, um, they're winding down from the week and they actually like remember to pick up their subscription <laughs> then. So yeah, it's that piece of like, well, what are we doing with the flowers they're producing? And we have two really big, um, you know, like, well, one really big focus with that and not sharing them freely in our community mm-hmm. um, everybody has like we each have different responsibilities and privileges with what we have and different needs for what we need our land and our farms to do and we have the privilege of not needing to live off the income of our farm and that always feels such like a weird vulnerable thing to say um but it 
that's that's our reality and that that's a privilege and luxury mm-hmm. and so the question has always been what are we doing with what we have and so that's why really the largest portion of what we grow on the farm gets gifted back in our community um and the, and including the sales from our dahlia tubers we'll talk more about the growing kind great project, yeah you know, last year we donated 100% of the sales from the Dolly Tubers to the Growing Kindness Project. Um, and then this year, 50% of the sales to the Growing Kindness Project. And in terms of what we're doing with our flowers and our subscription sales, my goal this year was to sell enough subscriptions that I was able to afford um, help to come in twice a week with weeding and harvesting. And so it really, like... That's it was so a, smart. It was just a great way for us to be able to keep doing the thing that we love, which is gifting flowers freely in our community, but also to have, to take off some of that pressure and hustle to maintain this all. Like just, I have the sweetest high school gal. She's a Mentor Kids 4-H club, absolutely a gem. And she comes twice a week for four mornings a week and helps with weeding and harvesting. And it just, it's just enough the size and scale that we are to keep it above water or to give me the room to breathe, to say, okay, I've got to run the kids to, you know, bike room this morning can you work on harvest while I go and do that right I think it makes it um you figured out how to make this model sustainable yeah and um and I would love to we're we're almost done we can sit down and and talk a little bit about uh what what started our conversation a couple of months ago when we talked by phone about the growing kindness project and um just how that's been a beautiful surprise for you Absolutely. That you started with something that was very personal, and it 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 caught on with others, yeah. and you're so you found a way for others to be participate and not have to kind of reinvent the wheel for their own communities. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited to to dig into that conversation. Great. It all ties together so much. Like I said, I think it really, um, honestly, the biggest part. And again, it feels like a real like. Um, I don't know. I don't, I scary in a way, you know, vulnerability to say what the purpose of our farm is. And yet I wish that I was braver in that because I think it creates, um, more reality and authenticity in what we're doing when we all can like share our purpose and our why. Right. And our whys all look so different, you know, in flower farming, like there are lots of people who are putting food on the table with their farm or they're paying for their kids college or they're, you know, saving up for that Europe vacation that they always wanted to take or all those things. And those are all real and meaningful wise. But I think also there's a lot of us in flower farming, if we're all being really real and honest, which feels scary and hard to do, that this is something that we love that brings us joy. And we're trying to figure out what our why is in it. And I think that that's totally fine. But it feels scary when there's so much comparison happening mm-hmm. and so much um, expectation on how we could or should be doing things. Right. Um, to just kind of rip that Band-Aid off and say, like, all of our whys are going to look really different. And it doesn't invalidate what we're doing. It actually authenticates it. Yeah. So. I love that. And even just, um, you know, I'm just realizing by asking you how you charge, I, I'm a, putting a set of expectations on like a monochromatic flower farm. Like, of course, everybody has, you know, their their finances figured out and it's to make money. And so I take, I, I, 
I, I apologize for that because no, I feel like no, you... I think it's no. I think it's it's. I think it's a great like conversation. Like this is so much of that conversation you and I were having of like, how do we create some transparency around that? Um, that it's okay to do this for reasons other than being profitable. And that said, coming back to that, how to create? How do you create like? safety around um and conversation around like what does that look like how do we honor those who are doing this and need to be making a profit on it how do we make sure that what our why is and what we're bringing to the table and how we're doing it isn't taking away from another person's why yeah and so I think a really big part of that like you and I have talked about is really deciding and being honest with ourselves if our intentions to be profitable um, or if our intention is that this is a hobby and we love it then pricing things accordingly and we're in this kind of weird limbo stage right now like it's a little bit of both mm-hmm. really the farm supports the growing kindness project like that's why right now I need it to be financially sustainable that's why the Dahlia sales have mattered um but, oh, we have new, brand new baby goats, too. I hear them. Sorry, sorry. And loud. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, peeling back that layer of if we can be really honest with ourselves and our intention and our whys and what we need to get back from it, it makes it a lot easier to move into pricing models that reflect that with integrity for both our, what we're doing and for other people and what they're doing. So I think one of the really... You know, I think there's a lot of fear about giving away product. Like if we give it away, it's going to be devalued. And I think what lies in that actually that's more fearful in the industry to me is that when we are selling it like at a really discounted price because it's a hobby or because our why is to just make enough to uh, be able to give back in our community or something. Like our pricing model does still need to reflect if we're, if we're going to be selling Hopefully this is a big topic. So I'm yeah. like kind of spinning. I'm following you. I'm glad you are because I can go in a rabbit trail. So thanks for your grace for this. Um, if we're going to sell, our pricing needs to be competitive so that it's honoring those who are making a living off of this. I thought that's where you were going with it. And I think that that, that shows your... Um, I guess just your in- integrity and in- intentionality about the larger community of your peers. Um, when you sell your tubers, for example, you're selling them at the rate that other Absolutely. area farms Absolutely. are selling them. Absolutely. And, and the fact that you're choosing to use the proceeds to fund your nonprofit is part of your story. Yes. And, and it, you know, it maybe makes people more interested in buying because they know the money's going to help the community in a different way. But it's also for people who just love tubers and want to just grow the same varieties you have. And like you said, for our peers, like protecting those, I mean, I have many, many, I'm so, I mean, I like preaching to the choir, like the flower community is filled with the most amazing, big hearted, generous, thoughtful people. And I have many friends who work really hard to put food on their table and to get their kids through college and to help, you know, finance their mortgage. And I want to make sure that I have clarity and me having clarity in what I'm doing in the way that I do price the things that I sell. Um, I think that creates respect for what they're doing. Yeah. 
And then it also creates freedom to be able to say, you know, my why is to give back in my community. So I can freely give. And that's that's not going to devalue their product. When I am freely giving, you know, to organizations and individuals in need, that's not diminishing the value of their product. It's adding to it because it's drawing attention to, you know, the beauty and importance of local flowers. Yeah. But yeah. That's a good point. This is, this is a, I've been a topic that I have been just kind of <laughs> with, spinning on, considering, pondering for a long time. And so define the Growing Kindness Project, uh, or is it called the just Growing Kindness? Um, the Growing Kindness Project. Um, so what happened in all that, in all of my floundering and trying to figure out what it was that I was doing with this farm? And all the mistakes I made, and some of actually the best things that have happened in the last five years have come from what felt like really big crash and burns. Mm. Um, Some of the best things have come from big crash and burns in my first year, just in a series of mistakes and misunderstandings, I did not have anything to plant. The first year here on this farm, I should say, not the first year ever growing things. And I had pre-sold subscriptions, which is a really wise thing to do. Oh, you're a first-year market farmer? You should probably sell the subscriptions first and then figure out how to grow the flowers. So, but that's what had happened. So that's where we're at. And so I So you felt obligated to to fulfill those orders. absolutely. So I panicked. And at that point, because I hadn't started seeds, because I was holding them for these dahlias that I thought I was going to be getting. So I um, panicked and started asking around and just scrapped together every, like, Dahlia tuber cell I could find. It was late in the spring. Um, and uh, I don't know if you remember um, Janelle McCracken. She was a flower farmer here in Stanwood. She retired a few years ago when she retired. She sold me all of her. Happened to be that spring. And she sold me all of her dahlia crops or tuber stock. So just, you know, scrapped together. And then kind of accidentally, I ended up with 500 dahlias. Like, you know, that like panic mode. Overbuy. Yep, yep. So then here we go. We have 500 dahlias. Well, of course, there was no way I could. I, I had no idea that I was going to be producing that many flowers that first season. So we had always, um, it was really important to me that our boys knew how to interact in our community in ways that were meaningful. So this became a bit of a family project then, right, Deanna? Yeah, it really started out as a family project. So it was important for me that our kids got out in the community and flowers just became this really easy catalyst to be able to do it. I wanted them to go in and visit elderly people in long-term care homes, but to just walk in empty-handed felt like a lot. So we had in the past before we bought this farm at year five, had gone and taken flowers from you know our first little flower farm on our one acre um, to long-term care. And it was this beautiful opportunity. Just It literally opened doors and hearts. You know, people, when they knew you were coming to give flowers, felt safe and welcoming. And so we could make those connections. Well, when we moved here and planted those flower dahlias, was swimming in flowers that first year. And so it was either compost them or do something meaningful with them. And so we would load up, we had a radio fire wagon that at some point the handle had gotten broken off of. So we had baling twine, like not even cute baling twine, like orange baling twine with a squeaky wheel. We'd just fill the buckets because at that point, again, it was that just, just go, just start where you are. I didn't have time to make bouquets. I didn't have the manpower. So we would just take the buckets right from the field harvest, plunk them in the red fire wagon. 
and tow it into long-term care. And the kids would stand with me and pick out flowers. We would go through at dinner time, which there was four o'clock. And it was the most joyful, incredible experience. And in that experience, something happened that made me realize that that kindness given um, has this really tremendous ripple effect. So not only... We always, I always walked out of there feeling like I had taken something. Like it felt like such a gift to me. It just was so filling. And the kids, you know, they just glowed. Like it was, they felt so proud of what they'd done. And it was hard. I'm very shy, quiet kids. So it's definitely was a nudge out of their comfort zone, but they felt so good about those connections. And what happened was, is I realized we were feeling, walking away feeling absolutely filled by it. Those that we'd given flowers to were just so grateful and joyful. And people would come up who'd observed. So, you know, cafeteria staff or parent, people who are visiting their elderly parents and thank us and say, that was just made my day. That just made my day. Um, just to see and observe. And so that's where I got brave enough to realize that, you know, Kindness has a ripple effect and there's joy in the story as well. And so I put out on social media and just shared some little snippets of the boys sharing flowers. And I was really surprised by how many people reached back and said, thank you for sharing that. I was inspired. I went and shared flowers with my elderly, you know, long-term care residents, or I, you know, took flowers to, you know, wherever. And so that kind of just sat with me that later season, you know, here we don't really hit peak season until late fall and then everything dies and then it's school and it's busy. But it was that winter we were, I was standing in the barn dividing hundreds because of course too, I didn't realize they were actually all going to live and make it. And we were going to have hundreds and hundreds of value tubers and realizing that that question that people had been asking me, how can I do this too? Like, how can I replicate what you're doing? Like the key to it was the dye tubers that I was holding that we could give those freely and share them and encourage and invite other people in to do what we were doing. Because we could only go so far with a little red wagon and the three my three little boys, you know, my husband works you know, regular nine to five jobs, so slaves on the farm, but it wasn't like something he could even jump in and support during the day. And so um so we realized, you know, the key in this is not to hold it tight, but like to let it go and invite other people into it and to use what we have and give it freely to invite others into join wow. us. So we opened up our farm and said anyone who wanted to pick up Dahlia tubers, as long as they promised they would share flowers at some point in their community, um, could come and get Dahlia tubers. And then we had over 100 people show up at the farm and they were so excited. And then, then as we were sharing that on social media... The question was like, could you just tell me, you know, more about it? What do I do with the dye? And then the question started coming. What do we do with the dye tubers? What do I do now? How do I, how do I dig it up and fall? So we realized that it was one thing to give people with an actual supply, but it was kind of like, um, that kind of left them still needing more. It's and like so, that if you teach a man to fish, he will eat kind of thing. Like they had the tubers, but they weren't necessarily flower farmers. Right. So these are just home gardeners. Wow. They just were inspired to want to give and share flowers. And so from that, over the last four years, the Growing Kindness Project has evolved and grown. And we are now a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which feels like such a thrill and joy and terror to say. I mean, we're, it's, we're, we have really big goals and dreams for being able to support people and doing this very thing. You know, flowers are, there is a universal language 
attached to flowers. And I jokingly will say that if you walk into a room with three things, people will instantly warm to you. And one is a baby, the other is a puppy, and the other is flowers. And babies and puppies are a lot harder to come by, but we all can grow flowers. And there's just this instant softening that even the most tough, hardened, closed off people will open. And it just, it really was about the flowers being the tool and the catalyst for connection in our communities. You know, they, they were the, they were a gift too, but the real gift was like creating this open door for a moment of real meaningful connection. Yeah, human connection. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. So, so um, right now as a 501c3, are you, is most of your energy just helping equip other people who want to grow flowers to s- sort of establish some kind of program in their yeah, community? Yeah, it has been um, big growing pains in good ways, you know, in really good ways this last year. The project, the response has been just overwhelming. Um, and, you know, at first it's this thought of like, well, giving flowers to people, that's that's as old as flowers themselves. That's not, that's not novel or new or it's not something that's not being done. Like why form an organization around it? Why form a team around it? And the thing that we realize is that number one, I think we all love accountability um, and it creates this really great level of accountability when you're a part of somebody, when you have a really clear and meaningful intention of this thing that you're going to do, it supports you and creates accountability. Number two, I think that people really, um, we we love to do things in community community and like really that's what the heart the whole heart of this project is community and so it's like creating a community around these like-minded people who are really um just really big hearts and want to serve in their communities and so kind of pulling them together and putting this like mastermind of master hearts of people mm. who really mm-hmm. just have a passion for reaching out in their communities and then like kind of the third leg of that is is providing some of that education and support and I definitely do not feel equipped to be the sage on the stage when it comes to that. And, you know, at first I could offer some very basic, you know, gardening um, instruction and how to and growing dye tubers. But what we realized, again, is there's this tremendous community in the flower world. And so we started reaching out and asking other people, hey, could you share your knowledge on this topic with this team and support them in this? And so we've had this incredible team of contributors who are flower farmers and floral designers from all across the United States who have offered their time and expertise to help educate the team. So it's been about just creating support in terms of like education and how to, and then creating community around like this team and this shared vision and heart. There's sort of this internal uh, connection with people who are on the team Mm -hmm. and then the external connection that they each, that's that ripple effect Mm -hmm. you talked about. Uh, but it's more meaningful because they feel more confident with their skill set or their knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Or just encouragement. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's been, you know, the, the part of the team and community we're building, we have, we build, are building out the project to have that be really that it's about that not one thing. And just like in life, we all have something so beautiful to offer when we just bring what we have. You know, it's kind of like this potluck of skills and talents and so we have one of the things I've been just loving this season is we have people who are in our project who are brand new backyard gardeners who are doing takeovers you know during the week and just sharing and they have all these just little nuggets of absolute treasure and wisdom that they've learned on their journey so far that they're sharing with the team 
more also that just normalization of like, oh, good, you know, I'm not the only one who's battling weeds too. Um, and then we have people in the project where flower farmers, you know, are jumping on and sharing, you know, like they're more in-depth experience with something. Um, and so it's just like this really beautiful blending of when everybody just shares what they have um, and we all, you know, walk away from it so filled. So in four years, um, how has this mushroomed? How, how do you measure it? Is it by the number of team members or the number of stems given away? Yeah. Or do you even know? Yeah, so that's a really great question. As we get legs under the project as a 501c and start to figure out all of these pieces, because that was the real uh, awakening, an awakening realization for me over the last few years. Because at first, I really... Uh, and Frank says no one ever becomes poor by giving. And I really do believe that in my heart of hearts. But the reality became really quickly that if I gave everything from our farm, every penny of profit, every stem of flowers, I still couldn't keep up with how big the project had grown and how quickly it had grown. And so we really started to look at what would be more sustainable for the long term of the project. And that's why we went to having options for membership. And mm-hmm. so um, anyone can join at any point. That's our gardener role. And that's absolutely free of charge with you know access to resources and support and connection. And then to tap into even higher level of training and education and materials, then that's a paid membership. And what that did this year was it created some breathing room for the project to be able to sustain itself this year. And of course, our long-term goal is like, we would love to, you know, have a grant writer working with us and to really be able to reach out um, in fundraising capacities in ways that we can support um, even more people with resources and education to get out in their communities and grow and give flowers. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm so excited to hear more about it. And I know you've got your own website for Growing Kindness Project and lots of extra information and details. So we'll be sure to share all that yeah, yeah, uh, with the viewers. Anyone, if this is resonating on any, in any way, jump in. We want, you, we want you to join us. That's the thing. You know, it's that, I, get, I get questions sometimes like, well, I, you know, I've never grown flowers. Like, perfect. You know, we say, if you've got a little bit of dirt in a big heart, you have what it takes to grow kindness in your community. It really is about just jumping in and starting where you are. And then the other question I get is, well, I'm a flower farmer. I can't give away all my product for free. And that's an absolute valid concern. So we just really encourage that if you're a flower farmer and you become a member of the project, just make it clear, you know, that piece like you and I were talking about, like what's freely given is truly freely given. And what you sell that supports your farm and your family, like that's that's your income, that's your mm-hmm. livelihood. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to give give freely alongside of that or in in addition to that right or if you have a particular mission or cause you articulate that to your customers so they they know there's these you know this other part of your business that is community-based and so one of the things that we did actually you know those tiny little things that are a small detail but they actually help a lot was we created gift tags for bouquets and they say growing kindness these flowers are grown and shared with the hope that they brighten your day. Like, no strings attached. You know, and really, the kids and I learned really quickly, and this has been something we really encourage our team in, is that we have to be clear in our intentions with people. Kindness freely given is not, it's not, it doesn't feel normal to us anymore. We always, as, as a culture, I think we have the sense of jadedness of, what string is attached here? Right. What's, What's your, your angle? angle? Yeah. What's your angle? Yeah, I agree. And so 
the first time when we were in long-term care, it took me a little t- a little while to figure out. So Eli, our oldest, would you know, hop, take off with his flower bouquet and he would you know, go to a table to give it and then he would come back with it. And I said, well, you, you know, aren't you going to give it to them? And he said, they said they don't have their wallet. And he was so little, he didn't recognize that that meant they thought he was charging. And so I really quickly had to equip them with the language that I grew these on my farm, on our farm, and I want to give them to you. These are for you. Um, and really quickly clarifying, there was no strings attached. They were freely given. And so, yeah, there, we have those bouquet tags are available for download um, on the website. You know, there's all kinds of just little, little things like that that we've learned along the way. Um, that's awesome make it clear in your community and with you know if you're a flower farmer you know with your clients you know what what your intention is in these really gifted flowers I love that I love what you've picked too thank you I should grab a few more things this is a hodgepodge (laughs) for sure oh it's great and um, if you have time to make a bouquet we'd love to see it but if you don't we'll uh, take a picture of it later on okay sounds great I'm going to grab a few more things really quickly do you think oops head up and do that. Mm. So have you been able to have people on the farm this year or um, are, is it sort of coming out of COVID you've just it's, put, put that really, on hold? We really held off until the state opened officially to schedule anything. And to be honest, you know, like, again, like that full vulnerability, just like, let's show up where we are. This year has been overwhelming for me um, in, in getting this project off the ground and the the groundwork and the behind the scenes and the pieces. And so it's really been about learning my limitations um, and holding space for my family as yeah. well. Taking and a pause on all those uh, events. We have really put a big pause this summer. We will probably still have one two things this year but very minimal um and and that's okay you know I'm really learning to lean into that like pausing or stopping doesn't mean there's a difference um and really just recognizing that it's okay to say wait sometimes so kind of in a a waiting season on the pieces that normally happen on the farm so Mm -hmm. but it's it's created space to really um to build this and Deanna, will you do a Dahlia sale this fall or Dahlia tuber sale? Or um... Um, We always have ours in the spring. Oh, um, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, for us, it's it's just logistically what I can manage. Um, so it gives me an opportunity to get the Dahlia um, dug and divided and inventoried. So typically we go a little bit later spring. We're usually like um, March into April. Um when we kick ours off so yeah and we're working on looking at what that looks like this next year since so much of our um, proceeds from the sale go to the project and hosting that in a way that feels really good for customers our dahlia tuber sale was 90 percent sold out in 20 minutes this year which (laughs) say that again i can't even believe that it was 90 percent sold out Wow. It wasn't even really, I mean, it was insane. We, you know, sat there and watched the inventory just fly out the door. So we were down to, in 20 minutes, all that was left was three red varieties. <laughs> and were you doing this on like a Squarespace or? Yeah, hosted off of our, um, we use, um, yeah, 
Squarespace is our website host. Yeah. So, yep. so they have a store and that yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So just simple. The the challenge is is that um, the demand is so tremendously great for Dahlia's right now, or Dahlia tubers, um, and a lot of the supply is coming from small farms. But as a like culture, we're so used to online sales now and them functioning in a certain way that we have found that we have to be really, really intentional and educating people that come to the sale, which is wonderful when they're those who followed our farm or the project for years and they understand, you know, like that's that piece of like, tell your story, be the face of your business, because then people understand it's a real person a real family behind it is we don't have it's not a big enough sale to afford a big fancy e-commerce platform right and you can't hit uh, volumes of any single variety either probably right right and so you know we we really really educate people going into that and uh, you know for the most part people are really gracious and understanding when it sold out so quickly or stock they had hoped to get wasn't available but it um it was really easy for us to see in the responses the, the people who are they are really comfortable with the sales platform that functions in a certain way and didn't know the story of this being a family farm and their responses and disappointment to it being sold out really quickly versus those who really support us as a family farm and were purchasing because they wanted dahlias but also knowing they were supporting a family farm. It was very different yeah. Um, yeah. engagement and response to the sale. Yeah. But all that said, we are looking at formatting the sale differently next year to hopefully make sure it's a more enjoyable experience for everybody. It's um, just, it's like growing kindness has growing pains. Oh, that's so, beautiful. Thank you. Why don't you stop and I'll get a nice shot of you holding them because I think we're running out of battery. So I think we're going to stop. No, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been such a great morning. so much for joining us today. I know I mentioned early in the interview that Deanna and I planned to sit down and talk more about growing kindness, but honestly, we were having such a great flow of conversation. I didn't want to interrupt it, and we just stayed in the fields as she was harvesting. Keep an eye out soon for details about a special growing kindness project event taking place in August, hosted by Holly Chapel at Hope Flower Farm in Leesburg, Virginia, along with Growing Kindness Project Ambassadors Sarah Dakin and Tom Brecht of Maryland-based Grateful Gardeners. As soon as we have those details, I'll share them in a full episode. You can also subscribe to updates at the Growing Kindness Project's website, growingkindnessproject.org. Our next sponsor thank you goes to roadie.com, the same-day delivery platform that connects you and your flower deliveries with drivers already heading in the right direction. Learn more at roadie.com. Hey, I have a fabulous bit of news to share with you today. We just learned that the Slow Flowers podcast received the 2021 Media Award Silver Medal of Achievement for podcast series in the broadcast media category. Presented by Garden.com, the Garden Communicators International. This national award recognizes individuals and companies who achieve the highest levels of talent and professionalism 
in garden communications. The 2021 competition had more than 135 entries in 62 categories. Recipients of the silver medal represent the top winners in each competition category who will now compete for the best of group in the areas of writing, photography, digital media, broadcast media, publishing, and trade. This is our second silver award for the podcast, so we're really thrilled. Thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the Slow Flowers podcast. And now, the Slow Flowers show, our video edition, which you can watch every Wednesday live streamed on YouTube and Facebook Live. I'll share those links for you in our show notes as well. Our final sponsor thank you goes to flowerfarm.com. Flowerfarm.com is a leading wholesale distributor of flowers, sourcing from carefully selected flower farms to offer high-performing, fresh flowers sent directly from the farm straight to you. Find flowers and foliage from California, Florida, Oregon, and Washington by using the Origin selection tool in your search. It's smarter sourcing. Learn more at flowerfarm.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 750,000 times by listeners like you. That's three quarters of a million listeners. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks to support Slow Flowers ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one vase and one stem at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Thank you so much to Andrew for helping me set up our new video podcast platform and for teaching me the technology. I'll be relying more on his talents in the coming days. You can learn more about Andrew's work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.